Biomolecules and Nutrition This is a preparative presentation that will enable you to better understand the relationship between the biomolecules of which you are composed and the nutritional molecules you should be eating. Biomolecules are defined as molecules produced within and used within living things. Looking across all species of living forms, the variety of biomolecules is vast. Your text groups them all into just a few large classes like carbohydrates, nucleic acids, lipids, proteins. But it's very clear that many biomolecules do not fit neatly into only one of these classes. Some biomolecules have features of two different classes. Others are not appropriate to any of these four classes. And then there are surely many biomolecules that we've yet to discover, that we're totally ignorant of. Well, we are biological beings composed of these biomolecules. We make our biomolecules from other biomolecules that we ingest. So the foods we need are those that will enable us to make all the biomolecules we require for growth and maintenance. We might add that if some foods enable us to make our needed biomolecules more efficiently, then these are the foods we are most interested in. If other foods contain a lot of biomolecules we just need to get rid of, or positively harmful toxins, then we'd want to avoid those foods. So we are in search of specific kinds or classes of foods that will get us our biomolecules in useful combinations. This means that we want to avoid foods that stuff us with just one class, or worse, just one kind of biomolecule. How can we build our proteins if we only ever eat cotton candy? We need foods that contain a variety of high-value biomolecules. But suppose we discover such foods. How will we get the remainder of the biomolecules we need but don't even yet know about. We can only be certain we are getting all the biomolecules we need by using the God-given dietary wisdom found in Genesis. And since many people survive this life on rather dismal diets, it is clear that our own biochemistry is very adept at cobbling us together from simple borderline starvation diets. Many Biology 101 students are on various sorts of diets. When we ask ourselves what we should be eating, we're talking about a healthy maintenance diet. This diet will maximize the variety of biomolecules we ingest and therefore the efficiency that we experience in converting them into our own biomolecules. Some diets, which are designed specifically for weight loss,
are horribly skewed away from good nutrition. A recent example is the famed Atkins diet that shifts the normal balance of biomolecule intake away from carbohydrates and toward more protein. Significant initial weight loss is typically achieved, but side effects from long-term Atkins use include increased risk of cardiovascular disease, heart attack, and kidney distress. Fad diets usually accomplish their goal, but such weight loss has hidden costs. A new generation of weight loss diets is now emerging. A variety of authors produce them, but they have certain features in common. First, they are much more like a maintenance diet. The balance of biomolecules ingested is more natural. Second, they are more long-term. You stay on these diets more or less permanently. And third, these diets require more of the dieter in the spiritual and emotional areas of their lives. They involve a whole new way of viewing the purpose and process of eating. The result is not just thinness. It is rather a healthier person within. One set of authors whose book has been out since 1988 is a husband and wife, Judy and Arthur Halliday. They explore the trials and joys of dieting from a biblical perspective. Where does one go searching for information on what to eat? The single most important factor in searching for dietary information is your knowledge that human beings are morally fallen and therefore selfish by nature. The more enterprising individuals among us desperately want to sell you something. This has led people into spending millions of dollars on nutritional scams. And when a fallen human being spends money on a nutritional scam, the problem is compounded in at least two ways. First, the convert to the scam now feels the deep emotional need to defend their own choice. And second, placebo effects are unavoidable. If we really believe something will help us, that positive attitude itself will work to improve our health. Placebo effects are powerful. They often deprive us of truth. What are some examples of such scams? One is to focus your attention on a single kind of food when God gives you an incredible variety of foods. Purveyors of blue-green algae or barley sprouts will list huge numbers of specific nutrients that have been found in this single superior source of nutrition. Hard-earned money is then sent away for such expensive products. Yet the blue-green algae seller has made no effort 
to list all the valuable nutrients present in grocery store vegetables that he is not selling. If you are willing to purchase a modest variety of such vegetables and fruit, you will save your money and experience more nutritional variety than any single food item can offer you. Vitamin supplements are another huge area of income for suppliers. As a result, American urine is one of the richest nutrient sources in any ecosystem. Now truthfully, science has discovered some interesting nutritional oddities. For example, humans are one of a minority of animals that do not make vitamin C. And most animals that make vitamin C have it in their tissues at levels higher than the recommended daily allowance for people. So it would appear to make sense to take vitamin C supplements. But the vitamin industry has us taking highly expensive preparations containing, in many cases, mega doses of many other vitamins and minerals that we don't need if we've chosen a reasonable maintenance diet. Not all nutritional novelty is greed-based. Consider the issue of organically grown foods. Organically grown foods contain the same biomolecules as conventionally grown foods. But over the years, conventionally grown foods in America have accumulated some added features. Many contain synthetic pesticides. Some are subjected to irradiation, industrial solvents, or chemical food additives. Scientific research has been used to discover two contrasting facts in this regard. First, results clearly show that conventional foods contain more artificial substances, including pesticides, than organically grown foods. Second, in both types of food, the level of these harmful substances is well below the safe levels as determined by the Food and Drug Administration. This is clearly an area where more research is needed. Should we bother spending more money on organic foods if conventional foods are clearly safe to eat anyway? Should we trust a government agency to tell us what levels of pesticides in our foods are unsafe. More study will begin to clarify answers to these questions. In the meantime, we're probably safer eating foods that have not been exposed to pesticides and other processing substances invented by human beings. Since the creation of mankind, Ordinary people have known how to eat for God's glory. They knew nothing about the classes of biomolecules that we know of today. But by embracing God's truth, they knew what to eat and what not to eat. We still have that inspired knowledge today. But some of us have made food into our passion. 
we govern our lives by it. The supermarket is our place of worship. Our meals and snacks are our devotional life, and our taste buds are our God. We move at their command, and their commands are enslaving. This situation is exploitable. Our food industry has learned how to give our bud gods more and more of what they demand without much concern for the nutritional needs of the rest of the body. In highly processed foods, the variety of biomolecules is usually lower, while the taste appeal is usually higher. This leads to an even more fundamental question. Why should we eat? As you think about what foods you should be eating, the broad issues of how much food and why you should be eating will totally surround your thinking. They could quickly absorb much of your precious time, and they are very important questions. But so is the issue of what you should be eating. Before you concern yourself with why questions, remember that this is a science course, and science doesn't answer why questions very effectively. Let's adhere to the issue of what we should be eating or not eating. And don't be surprised if our best scientific research rediscovers the divine pattern taught in Genesis 1.